Welcome to Ulcerative Colitis Autoimmune Healing Journey. I am your journey guide, Jay India, and I'm so happy that you're here because this is a supportive, positive environment where we can heal together. This is episode 21, What is a Colectomy and J-Pouch Surgery with Evan Botterman. Please note I am not a doctor or health professional in any way. If you would like to attempt something mentioned in this episode, please consult your doctor first. Evan, before I introduce you, I want to define a few terms. Is that okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Awesome. So a colectomy is a surgical procedure to remove all or part of the colon. Today, you will be hearing about a total colectomy where Evan had his entire colon removed. A J pouch, also called an ileo pouch or pelvic pouch, is made by using two loops of small intestine, each measuring about six inches long. The pouch is connected to the top of the anal canal in an area called the anal transition zone to eventually allow for elimination of stool. In other words, doctors connect the small intestine to the anus. And from what I've read, they keep the anal muscles. And that is unbelievable that they can do this now. Uh, So these two definitions are from Mayo Clinic. The last definition is an ostomy is a hole that the surgeon creates in the stomach to allow waste to leave the body. At the end of the hole, a small end of the bowel sticks out through the skin. This is called the stoma. An ostomy bag attaches to the stoma to collect the waste, and that's from WebMD. I also just want to say before we start, as Evan and I discussed in our pre-interview, this is where Evan is today. This is where his health is today. As I say all the time in this podcast, we are telling people how we're doing in the present moment, and that includes me. You know, I'm doing great today. Can't tell you if I'm going to have a flare six weeks from now. Can't predict the future. And everyone is different. Thus, everyone's journey is individual. You may meet someone like Evan, who's done really well. You may meet someone else who's had the colectomy and the J-pouch who maybe isn't having the best results. So it just depends. Saying all this, I'd love to introduce our incredibly strong and brave guest, Evan Botterman. Evan is 26 years old, born and raised in New Jersey. New Jersey, I'm a Jersey girl too. He graduated from college in 2018 with a degree in bioengineering from University of Maryland and has experience working in the medical device industry and also currently exploring a career in medicine. He's passionate about healthcare, med tech, patient advocacy, and of course, Crohn's and colitis. In today's episode, Evan will detail his journey with UC and his total colectomy and J-pouch surgeries. Currently, he loves to share his experience to provide hope to others who are struggling, and that's why he's here today. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that nice introduction, and I'm excited to get into it. All right. I always have to ask my guests this first. Actually, I have a few fun questions for you to start first. The first question is, do you pronounce it ulcerative colitis or ulcerative colitis? What do you, because they're both correct. Oof, that's a tough one. I feel like <laughs> my pronunciation has probably changed throughout the years, but I feel like I go with ulcerative colitis. Maybe it's like a mix of the two, just kind of what sounds right to me. I feel like being a New Jersey, New York person, you are too. So like, we just can't, it's so hard to say ulcerative to say it so perfectly. Yeah. So we have to get in our little Jersey accent there, New York accent. Exactly. And how are you feeling today in the present moment? Yeah, I feel great. Definitely very lucky and very grateful from where I had been to where I am today. And uh, yeah, like you said, I know it's just a point in time, but I'm really hopeful that I'm going to continue saying this well. And, you know, I hope to be a source of hope and inspiration to others who are struggling right now. 
You already are, because when I saw you on the Crohn's Colitis Foundation Instagram, I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this guy in this podcast. Hopefully he says yes. And you're one of my dream guests and you said yes, and I'm so happy. So I'm ready. We are ready to start. We want to hear your story. All right. So Evan, when were you first diagnosed or started showing symptoms of UC? Yeah. So honestly, it was a pretty sudden thing for me. I had gone... 19 years of my life feeling completely fine, never have any digestion issues at all. And then all of a sudden, wow, yeah, all of a sudden, my sophomore year of college, I think it was like going into winter break. It was like finals week, I started to have some stomach digestion issues, I kind of just wrote it off as like a stomach bug. I also had like a planned tonsillectomy and a week or two after so I was like, all right, maybe it's the nerves or something. But it wasn't too bad at the time. And then, you know, within a week or two, I had the tonsillectomy. I was given antibiotics after the tonsillectomy. That's just like a, a usual thing you do after a surgery to prevent infection. And then within a few days uh, after that, everything kind of escalated for me. I started getting urgency. The urgency turned to having some blood in my stool. And at that point, I knew something was up. Went to a GI. Um, I was pretty sick at the time. Had a scope. I had a sigmoidoscopy at the time to diagnose me with ulcerative colitis at that point. So really, just within a two or three week span, I went from being completely fine to having this new diagnosis. But actually, at the same time I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, the doctors also told me I had C diff. So it was a bit of a confusing little period of time. It was kind of like, all right, did the C diff? caused the colitis? Did the colitis cause the C. diff? It was kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. And then the doctors were also telling me, you know, maybe this is just the C. diff. Maybe you don't have ulcerative colitis. It was a a bit of a confusing thing. And uh, I was treated for both of the time. I took antibiotics for the C. diff and I took steroids for the ulcerative colitis. And within probably two or three weeks, I went from being really sick to being completely fine. So I was at that time hopeful that that was just an isolated incident and maybe it was just a C. diff and I wouldn't ever get another flare up, but that did not prove to be the case. Looking back, I know that we talk a lot about like triggers and what causes ulcerative colitis. For me, I, I truly believe that I did just catch C. diff either from antibiotic usage or from community spread. And I think that was my trigger for for actually developing this disease. Um, You know, I think I was also genetically predisposed. My sister also has ulcerative colitis. So she was diagnosed almost the exact same age that I was. So she's three years older than me. She was diagnosed when she was 19. I was diagnosed when I was 19. Wow. Yeah. So definitely a little bit of genetic predisposition, but it was a question of like kind of what was the ultimate set off for this disease cascade. And I think for me, it was probably catching that, that C. diff, but you know, we can't prove it. The C C. diff is a bacteria people get from a lot of times they'll, they'll get it from what, like being in a hospital or surgery or things like that. Correct. Yeah. It's common causes are antibiotic usage. So what happens is when you take antibiotics, uh, sometimes it kind of wipes out your, your entire microbiome, depending on the antibiotic and, C. diff is potentially one of the bacteria that can survive that. And it's kind of caused like an, they call it like an opportunistic bacteria, where when all the good bacteria are wiped out from the antibiotics and C. diff is left, uh, it'll really take its hold and, and cause disease and symptoms. So that's a lot of times how people get C. diff the first time or 
uh, if they ever do get it. But yeah, it can also be spread in hospitals, close quarters. I don't know how I got it. I had been on antibiotics the year before that, but not exactly sure what happened there. But I did have C. diff at the time of my UC diagnosis. So what fascinates me about your story just from the get-go is when I was diagnosed with UC, I could look back, Evan, and I could say, I've had this almost my entire life. Like I can look back. I was diagnosed. I was, I'm 40, I'm almost 45. So what was I? 43, something like that. So when I was diagnosed, I could look back and I could say, okay, I can see in my twenties where that happened and where my stomach was never right and where blah, blah, blah. And my intestines were never right. That is amazing to me that you were fine up until then. You were living a very normal life with no stomach issues. And then all of a sudden it comes up. That must've been so shocking. Yeah, it was definitely shocking. It was, um, you know, like someone snapped their fingers and all of a sudden I was sick. But, you know, I had a different mentality. I don't want to say like denial, but even though I had the diagnosis, I was 19 and within a couple of weeks I was feeling fine. And I was like, all right, like this isn't a big deal. It's whatever, like a lot of people have stomach issues. And I don't think I really understood the gravity of what that diagnosis meant at the time. And I really just tried to continue to live a normal life. And I did for a few years until it really spiraled out of control. So you're 19. You're, you said you were a sophomore in college. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. You were a sophomore. So you're just trying to live your best college life. Like you're just trying to have fun and go out and meet people and go to parties and get drunk and do the whole thing. Right. Do you consider yourself lucky in the fact, okay, so this happened when you're 19, you're a sophomore in college, but then you were okay for a few years. Were you okay for those those next couple of years of college for the most part or not really? It's a great question. So after that first initial flare, I, when it was like, was it C. diff? Was it UC? Like what's going on? And I was fine. I spent probably the next nine months in like complete remission. I was completely fine. I was living a normal college lifestyle. I mean, I definitely wasn't, you know, the most healthy person in the world, but I wasn't any less healthy than any of my peers at that time in college, right? I was just enjoying life, you know, taking classes, studying hard. In the beginning of my junior year, I had a a bit of a flare-up. But again, it wasn't too serious. I had just experienced some blood, and I was like, okay, this wasn't a one-time thing. Here's another flare, so probably wasn't just a C. diff. I had gotten tested for C. diff again at the time to see if it had recurred, but it didn't. So it was clear that it was, you know, I did have ulcerative colitis and it wasn't just a isolated incident. But again, my junior year when I had that flare, I, I had tried a, another medication. I think I was on a different steroid. I think I took budesonide at the time, which is a little bit of more targeted than prednisone. And it had pretty much put the flare into remission within a couple weeks. So again, I was still, you know, at, under the impression that I have this disease, but it's not a big deal. And I was kind of in a bit of a denial period. Like I didn't really tell anyone what I was going through or didn't tell any of my friends. I was still living the normal college life, you know, going out with friends, playing basketball, just yeah. doing my best to live a normal life. And and I did feel fine for the most part, my entire junior year, I had a flare in the beginning. And then I think I had another flare towards the end of junior year. But that one also got put away pretty quickly with new medication. I think I had probably gone on back on the budesonide. And I think it wiped it out as well. 
when I say wipe it out, I mean like it took care of the flare, took care of my symptoms, and I was in remission, able to get off the medication at that time, and uh, still live a normal life. So I, I had these like intermittent flares where I was just like, all right, this is going to be a two, three week thing, maybe a month, and then medication will work yeah. and I'll be fine, live a normal life, like no questions, like not even like a, a factor that I thought about too much. You know, I think probably it was a little bit of like denial at the time. Just, you know, try to tough it out and pretend that I don't have a disease. But Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, That's my motto. <laughs> pretty much exactly. It's how I was trying to live life at the time. But yeah, so I was able to live a normal life still through junior year. And then even through senior year, it wasn't really until the end of my senior year where things kind of took a turn for the worse. So tell me about that. Yeah, so... Sorry, I say like the end of my senior year, but now that I'm remember, sorry, like things are a little bit fuzzy, but my beginning yeah. of my senior year, I did have probably my worst flare up to up to that date. I was for the first time hospitalized. I had gone about like a week or two with like severe abdominal pain, really bad urgency, blood. And then at that point, I was in a hospital in Maryland. And it was at that point that I first talked to my doctor about starting a biologic. And you know, I'm not going to say I was like completely ignorant and like just doing whatever the doctor said. So I did do my research a little bit on like what medications am I taking? What is the best one to take at this point? So I started with Entivio, which is a biologic that's targeted just to the gut. And I wanted that one because I knew that they're immunosuppressants, a lot of the biologics. So like you have like Remicade, you have Humira, there's uh, Stellara, uh, there's Entivio. They all work for a certain portion of people and they all do really help some people, but that number is really 50, probably 40 to 65, 70% of people. And then there's, you know, 30% of people that just don't respond to some of them and you try new ones. But I wanted to try Antivio uh, just because that was the least systemic uh, immunosuppressant. And uh, at that point, I was getting infusion. So at that point, it felt less like I was a normal college kid because I was yeah. starting infusions. And then, you know, I remember driving, just like battling insurance companies. So I'm from New Jersey. So I had to, I could only get my infusion in New Jersey with my plan. And like, even though there was infusion centers right next to the college or, you know, not too far away, I had to drive like two and a half hours back to Jersey, get an infusion, drive back right after. Yeah, that was a little bit of a tough period of time. But Still, like, I felt okay. Like, even after that flare, every time I was in a flare, they, they kind of put me on steroids just to kind of help the flare. And that had always, up to that point, suppressed everything. Put it out, and I thought it was, like, this, like, super medication that just, like, made me feel amazing. Because it had done the job up to that point. Um, every time I had a flare, it was just, all right, here's your either IV steroid or, you know, you're going to taper down from 40 milligrams of prednisone over a few weeks and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, great. Like not a big deal. Take the steroids. I, you know, I was a little bit ignorant to how strong the steroids were, like what the side effects were. I didn't really think about that at that time. I was just, okay, I'm sick. I need the steroids. It's going to help me feel better. So I had taken the steroids simultaneously to starting this medication in Tibio and I had felt better. And in we weren't sure, like, was it was the Antivio actually working or was it just the prednisone that had just, you know, put me back into remission for a few months. And then I went probably only three months at that point where I was in remission. And then towards the end of my senior year, I was graduating in May, I'd say probably January or February, I went back into a flare. 
And this is where things really took a turn for the worse for me. But it wasn't because I was feeling much worse at the time. It was more because, like I said, up to that point, I'm in a flare. Give me the steroids. I'll feel better. But for whatever reason, the steroids at that point just didn't work. I don't know if my body just became accustomed to it or they just weren't as strong or what what exactly happened. But the medication wasn't working for, for me at that point. That's where I started to get a little bit like nervous. But, you know, I was still 21 at that point, like still trying my best to live like a normal college life. Wasn't really telling anybody what was going on. I was going to ask that. Were your friends freaking out? Was your family freaking out? Like, what, how is that happening? <laughs> um, yeah, so my friends definitely were not freaking out, but that wasn't because they didn't care about me. It was more because I just didn't tell them how bad it was. And that was pretty much just because, again, I'm 21 years old. I'm in a fraternity, I'm on all these sports leagues, like I'd wanted to act tough, right? And uh, I didn't tell too many people. Obviously, my, my family was concerned about me, and I really appreciated their support, but my friends at college didn't really know too much of what I was going through. And again, in my head, I still was at the point where I was like, even though I'm sick, I'm okay. Like, this is not that big of a deal. Yeah, I was, I was ignorant to how, you know, what was going on in my body, I was just like, I'll get out of this flare I always have, and it's not going to be an issue. But that started my senior year. I had also accepted a job to start my first job after graduation in Florida coming next summer. So I was preparing for that. I was super excited. To, I had a great opportunity with a company I had an internship with, and they gave me a job offer to Florida. I thought it was going to be a great start of my career, and I did not think ulcerative colitis was going to stop me at all. But yeah, kind of what happened is the medicine stopped working. So I went on higher doses of steroids. I was basically begging my gastro. I was like, hey, just like help me get to graduation. Like I'm so close. Like let me just go up on the prednisone. And that was the first time where it had started to affect my quality of life even more. Like when I was walking to class, I had to know where the bathrooms were. I had to, you know, know that this building has a bathroom on the second floor. If I go another 100 feet and I have to stop this building as a bathroom on the, you know, first floor. And I had all these, you know, things mapped out in my head, which was just like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who have Crohn's or colitis deal with those same exact thoughts of always having to know where the bathrooms are because you have no warning about like when, you know, you're going to need to take an emergency run to the bathroom. But that was the first time that I really experienced that. But it was, it was a very strange time for me because I was so close to graduating college and so close to like, all right, once I graduate college in May, like I'll be able to have a routine. Like I won't be eating college food. I won't be going out partying. Not that I was doing anything like different than any of my peers, but you know, I had this disease and I should have been doing things differently than my peers. I should have been probably eating healthier. I definitely was not drinking as much as my friends, you know, not that they're like alcoholics or anything, just normal college kids. And I did watch that, but it was just like a tough environment to be healthy in as a 21-year-old living the college life. And I really thought, I was like, once I graduate, I'll be able to take a month or two before I go to Florida, heal myself, like rest, and I'll, and I'll be okay. But kind of what happened is the months and months of being on steroids and this immunosuppressant that wasn't really working for me, I think had you know, started to wreak havoc on my body. By the time I got home, it was like, all right, now I need to heal myself. And I, 
I was like, the medications aren't working. And this is where I started to look into different diets and different uh, holistic options. And this is kind of where I felt like I had control and then slowly started to lose control. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to you know, talk about next is like what like these diets are and what these you know, different options are and how that affected me, you know, into my you know next phase of this disease. Yeah, because that was my question is once you knew that you had UC, what did you try? I mean, obviously we heard about the biologic agents. Um, I'm curious to know too with the biologic agents if you had side effects because I constantly hear about side effects. Um, but did you use, you know, did you do like major dietary changes, essential oils? Like what did you do? You know, after the medication wasn't working for me, it was almost like desperation mode. I was moving to Florida in a couple months and this is where I started to look up. All right. So the medication isn't working. What other options do I have? And this is where I, I looked online and I saw, you know, other people post stories about, this is going to be your cure to ulcerative colitis. This is your cure to Crohn's disease. And it's just these people talking about things that work for them. You know, these bone broth cleanses, these what to eat. Do I eat fruit? Do I eat veggies? Do I eat animal fat? Do I eat plant-based protein? And the problem that I faced is that there is too much information and too many people have differing trends about what worked for them that I got to the point of, all right, what, what do I do? And I am a wholeheartedly believer in your diet has a huge effect on these diseases and autoimmune diseases in general. But what I've come to learn and you know, reflecting back is that it's not a one size fits all uh, for everybody. So what I had tried, I tried these bone broth cleanses and I was convinced um, that, that like these cleanses were going to heal my gut and then I'd be able to fortify my gut, build my microbiome, do all these like amazing things and I'd be healthy. But what I discovered is that it's a very difficult lifestyle to maintain and it does promote like disordered eating habits. Yes. And I didn't realize that until I had moved to Florida. I think in that like six or eight weeks before between graduating and moving to Florida, I had tried some diets. I had felt a little bit better. But by the time I got to Florida and starting this new job, I was pretty much like, what am I supposed to eat? So I had tried bone broth. I was pretty much eating only bone broth, wild caught salmon. I was on all these different probiotics, these different supplements that someone had said. I was okay for a little bit of time, like maybe like literally a week or two in Florida, but then I had a setback. So like the past few months of catching or like being on these immunosuppressants, I think my body had just been so weak that I was catching these infections that were just wreaking havoc on my body. And once you hit these setbacks and you're on all these like limiting food diets, like it's very, very difficult to recover from that. So like these diets that I was on, I'm not eating a ton of calories with them. It's just like bone broth and and salmon and uh, like a couple smoothies, but it, I was losing weight and I knew I was losing weight, but I had been convinced in my head that this is a temporary thing. And once I heal my gut, I'll be able to put the weight back on. In theory, that was a good thought, but in practice, it doesn't work as well as you think it does because it's a very difficult thing to successfully do, especially unless like you have no other obligations or you're you're just able to 
focus just on that. But if you have a job, you have a social life, you have all this stuff, it, it gets very difficult. Um, and I'm going to just interject for a second and, and say, abs- thank you for pointing that out. Absolutely, Evan, because you look at me and how I recovered from my life-threatening flair while I work from home. You know, that's a big thing. I don't have children, right? Right. So I was able to really control my environment 100%. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have to travel, I didn't have to travel. If I, you know, if I, I didn't have to go out and get grocery food or whatever, because my husband would get it for me. I was fortunate enough in that regard. So I love that you're pointing out, you know what, it's not like that for everyone. That that's such a really, I don't know, that's very sage, sage advice, because it's for you, you're so young at this point, you're trying to live your best life in Florida and start a new job, which is stressful. So you're trying to impress people, you know, you want to start your career on a good foot. And yet you're like, crap, I may have to go in the hospital or I feel terrible and I can't explain what's going on. So continue, please. Yeah, no, I mean, everything you're saying is spot on. So I moved to Florida. I'm trying my best to start this new job, impress my coworkers. And, you know, I was just fighting to make it through the day. Yeah. Trying these new foods. And I'm, I'm a very social person, but like, you know, my friends and coworkers who do happy hours and I would just go and, and just like not eat anything and be terrible. Like, I had never thought that I would experience like disordered eating or anything like that. But I was yep. at the point where I was literally terrified of foods. I was terrified that I, if I have one bite of the wrong food, it's going to send me on a cascade back down to like this horrific flare that I'm not going to be able to get out of because I had been convinced from these people that this is the only way to cure yourself. You can only cure yourself, you know, having bone broth 50 times a day and uh, having raw milk and doing all that stuff. And, and right. And the problem is you also hear conflicting advice. Some people say, avoid soy. Some people say, have soy. Some people say, avoid fruits and veggies. Some people say, no, go have them. And you say, what What the hell am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I just like completely lost who I am. Exactly what you're saying. Within the first couple of weeks, I think within the first month, I had spent two or three weekends in the hospital and go in Friday night Damn. And then come back Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon and the doctors be like, you, you can't go yet. I'm like, no, like I am starting a job. Like I need to go back and, and try my best. But I was just really sick. And I still think I was like a little bit in like a denial phase of how sick I was. You were in survival mode. Right. I was in survival mode. hundred percent survival mode. Right. And I had had success in the past of getting out of flares. So I think in my head, I was like, yes. Just keep pushing. I'll get out of this and it'll be okay. My body, like I said before, I started getting fevers. I started getting uh, these crazy chest infections from all the immunosuppression. And that's where I had gone from feeling like I had control or at least maintaining somewhat of control to like now I'm losing control and I'm losing weight and I'm losing weight quick. I had gone from like 175 pounds probably in like, you know, a few months before that, three or four months before that. And I'm six foot three. So that's skinny to start. Yeah. Totally. Uh, to, you know, now I'm dropping 160, 155, 150, 145. And I was watching it go and I could not stop it. I could not stop it because obviously to stop it, you need to eat. But the problem is I didn't want to eat. I wanted to heal my gut and that's what I was focused yep. on. 
So I started my job in August and I remember I think like the first point where I was like, oh shit, I'm in deep trouble was up to, up until September, I had been clawing my way through the day and uh, trying my best to put a smile on my face because also like there's these new coworkers. They don't know me. For all they know, this is me normally. Like it's, you know, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. It's an invisible illness where on the outside, I could put a smile on my face. I could act normal. Maybe they were just like, oh, he's just a normally very skinny kid. I was able to maintain some of my work, but you know, internally I was struggling. Um, okay. So I have to ask this question because I'm dying to know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Did your coworkers or any of your new friends ever comment on number one, that you're not drinking or eating number two, that you're going to the bathroom a lot. Anyone say anything to you? Mm, that's a, that's a good question. I had definitely had comments on, oh, like you're really skinny. Like, cause there was a basketball league at my a job or like one day a week, some people would play after work and I love to play basketball. That's like my favorite thing to do. Uh, you have the height, right? I, I don't height. have the height. I'm five, I'm five foot one. I don't have the height. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was talking to some coworkers and one of them in particular was like, Oh, like, yo, you're probably really good. He was like, where do you play? I was like, Oh, sometimes I play in the wing. Sometimes I play in the post. He's like, Oh yeah, you're probably a little too skinny for the post, but you have the length. And I was like, all right, usually I'm not this skinny, but yeah, I didn't say that obviously. And then I had gone to happy hours and it was a very weird thing because I had gone with my new team. I hadn't really made friends yet because I wasn't being social. I would pretty much go to work, claw my way through the day, go home and sleep. Like that was it. I was not focused on maintaining a social life, building a social life down there. It was just surviving. And I was like, I'm going to survive and then eventually I'll feel better. But I still tried to go to some happy hours or do that. And I, I would kind of sit at the end of the table, not really say anything. And that's just not my personality. People, you know, would say, oh, do you want some of this? I'd be like, oh, no, I'm okay. And I think I tried to like articulate, oh, I'm trying this new diet. Like, but I wasn't open with them about my new illness because you're not like it's. Do you wish you were mm. now? Uh, that's a very. Think about it because you're new. You're new. You're the new guy on the block. You're trying to make friends. You're trying to impress your boss. You're trying to move up the ladder. Like, I'm just curious. I don't know the answer. I'm mm. just curious. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's a very good question. I would say looking back and like growing and maturing since then. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm only four years out of that. I'm not saying I'm like some like sage and like whatever, but if I could have had those open, honest, difficult conversations, yes, I think it would have been better, but it's so difficult to do that on this yes. new team, trying to impress yourself, like in a, you know, high achieving organization to be like, Oh no, I'm sick. Like I'm struggling. And it did get to the point where I had to talk to my manager about it. But like I was still, you know, not fully open about what was going on because also like I didn't realize how sick I was. It didn't hit me that I was like really sick, should not be working or like shouldn't. Like, it would, This was also before work from home was like a norm. So I was going to the office every day. I was doing all this and I was still on this like naive thought pattern of like, it's going to get better next week. It's going to get better, you know, a few days from now. It's going to get better a couple of weeks. I'll be fine. I don't need to tell anyone. Like, once I feel better, I'll be able to perform better. I'll be able to be more social. Like, I was, I don't know if I was kind of in, like, I don't know, I said, like, la-la land about, like, how sick I was and, like, just kind of ignoring it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, probably would have been healthier to have open, honest conversations. But, I don't know, I'm still, like, in that same spot. I don't know if I 
what it, it's just so difficult to do when it's you're sick tough. right that is such a tough i mean i'm listening to your story and i'm thinking the same thing i'm like okay this mature person i'm I would have talked to my boss about it, but then you're like, you don't know these people. Mm -hmm. And it's totally different if you've worked with them for like two, three years, they know you're a great worker. They know you're a great team member. Everyone loves you. You come into the office and you're like, Hey, this is what happened. Totally different from someone new. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I get where you're coming from. And not just someone new, but someone who had no prior work experience to demonstrate that I'm a competent worker can perform high, you know, high levels. I was just a college graduate looking to you know start his career and was extremely sick right when I started not knowing my coworkers like it was just a tough place to be away from family you know I had no family there I had you know no friends there I had a roommate that I had met who was you know very nice and I kind of spoke to him a little bit but again these he's not someone I knew for 20 years of my life like my friends from home or co- you know college it, it was a very difficult uh, situation to be battling. You know, especially like going to the hospital two or three days a week. I had also tried to establish care with a a GI down there. So there were like many days where I would sick visits to uh, a site an hour away at the earliest appointment time and then hustle right over to work like and and show up like nothing was happening. Um, Heaven, you're killing me right (laughs) now. (laughs) Like listening to this is breaking my heart. It really is like I literally have tears in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, Um, it was was a tough period. You're such a a survivor. You're such a survivor. And and I just, I'm just listening to this going, holy crap. I can't believe he went through all this. Because I think we all think that we go through things, right? With you see your Crohn's and we're all alone. And I know so, I love, love that you brought up the work component and that we're talking about it so much because I have listeners. I listen, Evan, I have listeners write to me from Australia, Canada, all over the world. And they're young, like you, mm-hmm. I, I get more of the younger listeners than I do my age, the middle age. I had a listener write to me not long ago saying she was trying to get leave from work and it was a really tough thing to do. So I thank you so much for being so open about this. That's what I just want to say. Yeah, no, um, you know, that's, that's why like, I want to go on these podcasts and share my story, because I know that this is not nearly as rare of a disease as people may think. I think everybody, whether they know it or not, knows people around them who are struggling with with Crohn's or colitis. But you know, I just want to get into this also, like, I did have great coworkers at the time and there were a few people that I was able to be open with. But what I was saying is when it really hit me that I am sick, it actually happened. I was like on a work trip and I had gone from really sick to like now I'm in like severe abdominal pain and I had to fly home and I had a great coworker who like drove me to the airport. So I really appreciated that. And there were a couple others too that I was able to kind of articulate like, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. This is what's going on. My manager was very um, understanding about like, don't worry about your work, take care of your health first, which was great. Even though I wasn't like completely open with every single detail that was going on, just like the fact that they were understanding. And it definitely will help me throughout my life. I think like going through a chronic illness, you develop the sense of empathy. You don't understand what people are going through just because they look like they're okay. Like they might not be okay. And like, I remember hearing coworkers, like when I was like traveling to the doctor's office in the morning and, you know, running back right to work and I had all this feeling awful. And then I would hear someone say, Oh, I had a flat tire this morning. 
and I'd be like, oh, I wish I had a flat tire. This, I wish that was my issue this morning, right? And like, I don't mean to minimize anybody's issues because that's definitely an inconvenience, but there's something to be said about like people's health, uh, physical and mental health that you know, I'm very grateful for the people that I did have at that time who were understanding. But yeah, so when I, when I had this coworker drive me home from this work trip, I flew home. It's never fun, like kind of flying and, and dealing with all that. I flew back to Jersey and I went to the hospital, was discharged from the hospital. I had like another infection. This is the first time I looked in the mirror. I was 135 pounds and that's this is probably the end of September, early October. So I started my job in August. What year are we talking? This is twenty eighteen. Okay. Yeah, that's the first time I looked in the mirror, and I was like, pretty much skin and bones at that point, and I just bawled my eyes out. I was like, this is uh-huh. something that I had thought I was going to get through, and now I was like, I am in deeper trouble than I thought I was, and uh, this is like. For the first time, I was like, I am losing this this battle right now. I had gone from like, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's not a big deal, I'll deal with the flare every now and then, to I am like very sick. In a quick period of time, it was probably within six months that I went from, I'll be okay, I can't wait to start my new job, to, oh shit, like, this is not good. So that's, that's when it really hit me. So I, I love your honesty. Because I think we all have that moment where we're like, we're effed. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. We, we do not have any control over this. I think we all have that moment. So in the interest of time, I'm going to just move the timeline along a little bit and just ask, how did you get to the point where, you know, you had to do the total colectomy in the J pouch? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So uh, pretty soon after that, like, oh crap, like this isn't good moment. I, I think I tried to go back to work probably for a month, but then. It, it was just too difficult to be in work and deal with all this stuff. And I had to have those hard conversations and go on uh, short-term medical leave. And I'm not really knowing. Like, it's not like I was having surgery and no, like, uh, I'll be out a month. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm just sick. I, I don't know what, how long I'm going to be out. I don't know what's going on. Um, Did your coworkers understand? Like, were they like, I looked this up online and I'm so sorry what you're going through or you just, you just didn't talk about it? Uh, there were... Maybe two or three Like coworkers. the one who drove you to the airport, you know, someone like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she, she knew what I was going through. I told her the disease. There was someone else who I told the disease and my manager, I told the disease. I don't know how much they knew about it, but like the rest of my coworkers, like all they knew is I was sick. They didn't know what I was going through unless my coworkers had, to- had, you know, kind of told them. Got um, it. You know, I had obviously thought like, oh, what are these gonna pe- people, people going to think about me? But I was, I was just trying to survive. I had gone on medical leave probably a few weeks after that. Uh, this is like November, December, 2018. I was just, you know, a mess. I was still trying all these bone broth diets. Um, I had already tried and failed Remicade when I was in Florida. So that's like what I was doing infusions and going to work, all that stuff. It wasn't working. And then once I started to get these like more severe infections and chest infections and all this stuff, the doctors were like, we, we cannot keep you on immunosuppression just because like, that's what was really messing with me. Like I, I had gotten a lot of the side effects of like, you always hear when you watch these, you know, commercials, this medication's great. Here are all the side effects. Here are all the, uh, you know, infections you could. I always say your arm's going to fall off. Your eyeball's going to fall out, but keep taking it. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> I mean, listen, they, they do help a lot of people. They do save a lot yes, of people's they lives. Do. Um, they do. you know, for me, unfortunately I had just gotten, 
my body was just weak. I was immunocompromised. I had gotten some crazy infections, and I was pretty much just praying for a miracle for about a month. I had tried everything. I was trying to make my own yogurt. Like when you're desperate, you will do anything. I was, I was doing essential oils. I was doing acupuncture. I was doing, you name it. If someone had told me that this person had had success with, with that, whether it was, I don't know, like eating the outside of a watermelon, I didn't do that. But I'm just saying like, you know, (laughs) if someone has suggested anything, I would have tried it. Like when you're desperate, you're so vulnerable to these, you know, different, different remedies. And it was a very scary time period. But what had happened is, you know, I had gone to the doctor many times, I'd been in the hospital a few times in and out still just like kind of praying for a miracle. And then by January 2019, I had gone from maybe going to the bathroom 20 times a day with blood to I had like a day where it was going like 30 to 40, like I, I could not be away from a bathroom. And like, I wasn't even having any stool it was just blood it was it was just urgency been there yeah <laughs> and uh yeah my, my mom was like you have to go to the er you don't have a choice and obviously i was fighting it it's it's also like a funny thing like i saw a meme one time it was like people with a chronic illness like how long could they go before they actually go to the hospital because like i was like fighting all this i was like i don't want to go to the hospital i was months right I was months. Yeah. I refused to go. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was in that boat and I had gone to the hospital before and like, I, like surgery was in my head, but I was terrified about like the prospect of having surgery and uh, what would that mean for my future. And obviously like my present state was horrible. I had no future in just with battling that disease. So I don't know, but I had gone to the, uh, the hospital. They did another scope on me. And this is the point where the doctor who did the scope was like, listen, we've seen a lot of patients. Most patients I see like you, I'm scooping off the floor. If you don't get the surgery within the next 48 to 72 hours, like you're committing suicide. That was terrifying to hear, but he, he was right. Like I, I would not have made it. And uh, the scary thing was like I was still fighting it. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to do it. I think I was saying I'm not going to do it before he told me that line. He was like, you need to have the surgery. I'm like, no, like, I'm going to be okay. Like, let me go home. Like, I'll, I'll figure it out. And then he said, if you leave this hospital, you're committing suicide. Yeah. So at that point, even though I was so like, I mean, so depressed, so like mentally drained, so physically drained, I was literally like skin and bones. I, I think I was the lowest I weighed myself was 118 pounds, but I, I'm pretty sure I was close to 110. Uh, just before I weighed myself. And yeah, I, I had, I mean, I guess I had an option, but I really was like, for this little ounce of hope of things getting better, I was like, yeah, let's, let's just do it. Like, this is it. I need the surgery and just hope for the best. But yeah, it was terrifying because a lot of what you see, and like, obviously when you're, you're sick, you try to look for people who have gone through uh, surgery like that before. And you see a lot of negative outcomes because people aren't posting the positive outcomes. They're only, you know, on social media. And I understand that completely can sympathize with them wanting a community of people who are also struggling and, and going through some things. But there was, it was very difficult to find someone who had had the surgery and felt great. You know, that's why I was so scared. I was like, if I'm, if I'm going to get the surgery, like, what does that mean? Am I going to have a an ostomy bag for the rest of my life? Am I going to go to the bathroom 20 times a day for the rest of my life? Like, what does that mean? But for me, I latched onto like one story. And I think this is like what really helped me throughout my entire journey is just like as sick as I got, 
I still always try to like latch on to the positive story. So there is a pitcher actually in the major leagues. Uh, his name is Jake Diekman, and he had the surgeries, and he's p- back pitching in the major leagues. Wow. And I was like, all right, if this guy can do it and he's back pitching in the major leagues, like, I can do it. Like, I'm going to be okay. Like, I'll make it through it. And that really helped me is just knowing that there was someone out there who had the surgeries and was still able to come back and compete at a, you know, very, very high elite level. I'm going to be okay. And that's what I chose to do. And that's really my intention now of like why I'm just getting to more patient advocacy and, and raise awareness is like obviously I'm not a major league pitcher or an NBA player but I am someone who's made it through it and I I have positive stories and that's what I want to be for people that are struggling is you know that positive story is like you know you're struggling but you can be, you're going to be okay like there are better days ahead for you so for me that was really it and I, I don't think I ever would have gone through with the surgery unless it it really was emergent the way it was. So tell me the surgery. So you had the first surgery was what? And then how many months or weeks to the next surgery? How did that go? Yeah. So the way they did it for me is they did three separate surgeries. So sometimes they do it all in one surgery, which I think is rare at this point, but sometimes they do a two-step surgery. So two different surgeries for me, I was so sick that they wanted to do three surgeries. So the first surgery I had was January, 2019. They just took out my entire colon. They gave me an ostomy bag. They just let my body heal without this organ that was just beat up in my body and, you know, was serving a horrible purpose at the time for me. How did you feel when they took it out? Like, how did you feel emotionally? How did you feel physically? Was it relief when they took it out? I hear there's a lot of relief. Yeah. So, you know, like relief is in physical relief. Like I can go to the bathroom kind of normally. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wasn't going to the bathroom normally. I had an ostomy bag. That's what I mean. Right. Like, sorry, normally. You're not running to the bathroom, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there definitely was relief. I was able to eat again. I mean, still, like, there was some trauma about food, around food for sure. sure but sure. I was less scared about, okay, if I eat this, my colon is going to be inflamed and horrible because obviously my colon had been out at that point. So that wasn't an issue anymore. I guess I was conflicted. I, w- I was like, relieved because it was the right move at the time without a doubt but I was 22 years old I you know went from less than a year ago less really less than six months ago like playing basketball like hanging out with my friends doing things normally till now all of a sudden I'm waking up with an ostomy bag and I'm saying like to myself like what happened like how the heck did this happen uh like so quickly but yeah I mean listen it had to be done. It was scary. It took me some time to like move on and like deal with it. Like the relief of like being able to eat again and being able to live away from a bathroom so, was, was great. So the ostomy bag, I knew someone 15 years ago with a colostomy bag. So it would hang and I never noticed it. And it was a very good friend of mine. Never noticed it, never smelled it, never. He was, he kind of wore his shirts so they would hang over. So you couldn't tell that the bag was there. But I believe with an ostomy bag, that is taped to you, correct? Yeah. So the way it works is they create this thing called a stoma, which is essentially right. just a piece of your small intestine or right. uh, sometimes, I guess, your colon uh, that's on the outside of your your skin. And that's where the stool passes through into this bag. So yeah, I, I taped it on to me. It's, it's like adhesively uh, made. There's a few different brands. 
I mean, it's definitely like it takes a lot getting used to, but I want to be like very careful of how I talk about this because I was able to reverse mine. Obviously, like, I, don't, I don't have an ostomy bag anymore, but there are people that live very, very successful, happy, healthy yes. lives with an ostomy bag. And there's a lot of like great people doing great work of like showing how they're able to live a normal life with an ostomy bag. Would I choose to have an ostomy bag if I had a choice? You know, no, but does it give people the opportunity to live a happy, healthy life? Yes. Like, so yeah, it wasn't fun. I didn't have a great time with it, like, but I got used to it. And like I wore, like you said, like they make these belts that help keep it like really close to your, yes. your body. And they, yeah, I wore shirts. Like, you know, some of my friends knew I didn't really talk too much about it, but I, I'm very lucky that I have a lot of great friends. Like it was funny, like when I was recovering, a lot of my friends would come over, like my mom would always say like, bring milkshakes just because I had to put weight back on. You know, it was just like a, the sort of thing, like he's sick, but he's getting better. Yeah, he has an ostomy bag. And I think maybe I like dealt with it differently. Like within, like I tried to get back out there and play basketball with my friends. Like I tried to live a normal life. I didn't talk about it too much, but yeah, I have great friends. So I think that helped me. Great friends, great family, all that stuff. With the bag itself, just very quickly, because I know we still have to go through the timeline. With the bag, what I noticed now, again, it was a colostomy bag. So it was something that was hanging. Again, I didn't notice the smell. He never referred to it as being, you know, like a huge pain in the ass or what. I don't know. He said it gave him a lot of relief, you know, physically. Mm -hmm. So with the ostomy bag, is this something that you, you fill it up, you throw it out or you have to clean it or just curious about that? Yeah. So the way it works is, uh, you know, you don't really have control over when it fills up. Um, it's not like you're right, going to sure. the bathroom and you can hold it in. It, it just right, kind of sure. goes out. And then when it fills up or you feel it filling up, you go to the bathroom, you empty it. And then you close it and then oh, um, you do okay. change it every few days because the adhesive will kind of wear off. And that for me was like the least fun part because uh, it's a bit of like an involved process. You need to learn how to do it. I mean, once once you kind of got used to it, it wasn't so bad. But the big risk is uh, and it's not a, a big risk, but it happens it, like, you know, it could leak or it could fall off unintentionally. And that is, you know, the risk of having that. But it happens and you deal with it. I mean, it just is kind of a way of life at that point. It gave me a chance to live again. Okay. So let's move on to your second surgery. When was that? Yeah. So the second surgery was three months after that. Uh, so they just let my body heal. Essentially, I put some weight on, you know, friends brought me milkshakes. I was eating definitely not healthy, just like trying to pack the calories on, but that was what I needed. I did the same point. thing. Right. I needed that. I, did I was, the same I was thing. 100 and, you know, between... <laughs> Hundred and teens pounds, like it, you know, I needed just to eat. And Evan, I went through this English muffins phase. Mm -hmm. Like I could not stop eating English muffins, yeah. and I could not stop drinking Coke. And I'm someone that does not drink soda, and I just couldn't stop doing it. So hey, you got to do what you got to do, people. Yeah, exactly. Do. So continue, <laughs> continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had the second surgery in April, and this is where they form the J pouch. So the J pouch is essentially they take your small intestine. And they form it into, I think you described it in the beginning, they form it into this like J shape and it's kind of like a reservoir. So the way it functions and, the, and they connect it to like your, your anal sphincters and like everything down there. So the way it functions essentially is like a makeshift colon or a makeshift rectum, something to hold stool. And that's the way that it really works. And they formed it for me. And this is where different surgeons have different methodologies, but like my surgeon didn't fully connect everything like he connected it but he still gave me he still left the the stoma there because he wanted to let it heal 
this is different, you know, different surgeries. I, I don't know the exact research on like, you know, the success of each different style, but yeah, the, the goal is just to let all the sutures heal, let the pouch kind of get in place before we let everything pass through. Uh, so I still had the ostomy for three months after that. And then in July of 2019, I had the final surgery, which is basically just the reversal. So they, they connect everything. So everything was in place. I still had the, the ostomy and the stoma. And this is where they connected the stoma, put everything back in my abdomen and let, let stool pass through. I love science. Yeah, I mean, it's a miracle. Like, I'm so I'm so dumb at math and science. I really am. I've just never been good at it. But I, I just love that we can do these things. I mean, how lucky are we? You imagine, Evan, if we had this back in Outlander days, we'd be <laughs> dead on a boat. No, exactly. <laughs> They'd just throw us over. Yeah. Like, that's it. They're like, get them off the boat. But now, look at what we can do. So after all of these three surgeries... Again, I'm going to ask you very much a repetitive question. How did you feel emotionally and how did you feel physically? So I felt definitely better than I had when I was sick, but it wasn't for me like snap your fingers, everything's rainbows and butterflies. Like I had, you know, obviously experienced a huge trauma for the past 18 months or however long I had been sick for. Like it, it had been so long since I felt okay and, and, and uh, things don't get better overnight between the second and third surgeries I had like some complications I had like a partial obstruction like kind of where the stoma was which is not it happens sometimes but like I wasn't able to eat much I was pretty much on a liquid only diet for a few weeks so I had also I put weight back on but I had dropped some so I wasn't at my peak of my top BMI I was at probably a lower BMI than I what would have been you know healthier for going to the surgeries. I also had to go back to work between the second and third surgeries just to kind of maintain my employment status with the way it was. So holy moly, <laughs> I was back in Florida, I was dealing with these uh, complications. So it was back like, Oh, no, like things aren't going well, again, I wasn't able to eat much like I would throw up every morning because I had these obstructions. The third surgery, like for me, like I woke up. And the next day, I was able to hold in my stool and you know go to the bathroom under complete control and it was like wow it was an amazing amazing like feeling of like you had a green heart day yeah yes (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) that had to be the most i'm sorry let's let's (laughs) stop there for one second that had to be the most amazing feeling uh, of your life yeah i was definitely like cautiously optimistic but you know like when you're trying to like hide your excitement i remember like yeah like coming back from the bathroom and like my mom was there and like we both just kind of like smiled and like i was like you don't want to act too excited but like it was a huge moment to like huge victory i could do that again you know what i mean like i have confidence over my bowel movements again which is uh something i hadn't had in in so long over the next few weeks i had still like gained some confidence i remember i had like a friend's birthday in like new york city obviously didn't drink or anything but i went and um yeah i mean i went five or six hours without like going to the bathroom or worrying about it or anything and i was like wow that's amazing like again like it was uh all these like kind of milestones, I'm feeling better. And like slowly but surely, I'd say the first year after that last surgery, it was a lot of like, I went back to work, I could work again, I could, you know, do some quality work, I could make friends, I could play basketball, I could go to a concert, like all these like things that like, I'm starting to like regain my confidence in and like, I could eat this food again, I could, you know, I I was being like very 
cautious with the foods I was eating. Like I was like avoiding fruits and veggies mostly because like they're high fiber and I was a little bit scared of that. Uh, but you know, I started slowly but surely kind of working it in. Now I have really no restrictions at all with what I can eat or drink. Like, you know, I'll have alcohol sometimes. I mean, I'm not out there like drinking alcohol every night, obviously, but like, yeah, when I'm going out with friends, I can have, you know, a few drinks. So I'm very, very grateful for things. Immediately after the surgeries, did they put you on some special diet or you, you can eat what you want? In the immediate time after surgery, like you have milestones to hit. Like you start with a liquid only diet. You Then you like go into soft okay. foods. I mean, this is like in the day or two or three after surgery before you can progress to actual, you know, normal foods. But yeah. It's like any surgery. Right. But that's very normal. Yeah, that's normal after any surgery. But no, I mean, I think I met with a dietitian, but it pretty much was like, just put weight on. Like just eat whatever the heck you want. You know, put weight on, get some muscle mass, fat mass back on your body. So that's pretty much what that was. Okay, so today you're doing really well. You just said you have no food restrictions. So for example, can you attend a wedding and eat the cake? Not all of it, obviously a slice. Can you eat a hamburger and fries? Can you, like, what do you, like, what can you eat? This makes me, see, here's the thing. I'm living vicariously through you. So come on, tell me what you can eat. Yeah, no, I could eat anything. And again, I want to like emphasize, I know you said this at the beginning, but this is only my story. Yes. I think, you know, I think this is the majority of patients who do it, but you know, there are patients who do struggle with the surgery. And, and I think there's a lot of research on ongoing about why that is and hopefully solutions to help them. But this is my story is like, I don't have restrictions. I could eat whatever I want. You know, I probably should eat healthier than I, than I do. I'm, it's not that I don't eat healthy, nah. right? But like, I eat like, you know, a normal person, but you eat normal, right? I eat you eat normal. normally. I would like to get to the point where, uh, I'm able to eat like, you know, just really fresh, clean foods. But the thing I, I struggle with and I, I struggle with my entire life is maintaining weight and like putting weight on. Like, I know a lot of people struggle with, uh, you know, keeping weight off. But my struggle is like putting weight on. So I, I keep telling myself if I get to like 185, 190, then I'll be able to like, all right, let me stop just trying to like eat whatever to put weight on. Let me, let me, um, you know, really be clean and, and healthy about what I'm eating. And, you know, that, that is my goal is to kind of get to that like healthy maintenance weight. Cause you do need fighting weight. Like if you do get sick, it, you do need fighting weight. And that's what I didn't have. Absolutely yeah. do. So I have a fun question for you before we close out. The fun question is what was something when you just really couldn't eat anything that you have now put back in your diet that you're just like, oh my God, I can eat that again. I am so happy. This makes me like pizza or ice cream or I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, all of the above. Like I like I, <laughs> I love my foods. I love sushi, pizza, ice cream, like you name it. Like, you know, I, I just was staying away from everything and I thought maybe I would never, you know, get to eat that stuff again, but definitely lucky that I can. You're definitely lucky. And I think something in your story that's also in my story too, Evan, is we don't take health for granted. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to play the age card here, but I'm going to play the age card because I'm 20 years older than you. You have gone through this at such a young age that it's, I know it's, that's not a good thing, but also it's going to help you in life just really be so much more focused and so much more empathetic and really figure out who you are and what you want. I'm telling you that is going to be, you know, a lot of great things have come from this. I'm sure you found out who your friends are and work and all of that, but this is really going to sculpt you as a person and going to set you on a path above 
people your age. I promise you that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think, uh, I think one thing for me has always been trying to take, you know, the positives of like, what is good of the situation? I think like kind of what you're saying is something that I'm trying to like maintain as a positive, like obviously like going through that was horrible, but yeah, like, like you're saying, like I have a new perspective exploring different career paths now because of that, like, you know, and hopefully, yeah, like you're saying, like down the line, it will be something that I'm able to help a lot of people through. And I think that's also like one of my main goals now is to like, and I love doing this is like I do patient support, people struggling and reach out to me and I'm able to, you know, walk them through some of their worries and, and things like that. And, you know, I'm very happy to keep doing that stuff. So what advice would you give to those who are debating a total colectomy and J pouch surgery? What would you say to them right now? So I think this is a very, it's tough to give like a one size fits all advice, right? So this is like a very, correct, very, you know, unique personal decision between a patient and their physician and their family. Everything is different. I would definitely say, obviously, you know, a total colectomy is J pouch is not option one. You know, option one would be getting your colon healthy and, and living with the colon that doesn't bother you and you're able to live a normal life. But I think the advice and like what I would leave this with is if it comes to that and like if, you know, there's no options left and this is like your best option, you've tried all the medications, everything and nothing's working and you're, and you're going into this and you're worried and you're scared and what is life going to be like? I would just leave it with, you can live a normal, healthy life. Maybe it's not going to happen right away. Maybe you'll have some complications. Maybe you won't. Like maybe, you know, maybe everything will be okay, but there are brighter days ahead. Like your life is not over if that's what it comes to. Perfect. Perfect way to end. I just want to tell everyone that Evan's Instagram, definitely reach out to him. I'm going to put his Instagram in the show notes. I'm going to link to it. It's Evan Botterman at Evan Botterman. And I'm going to spell this for anyone who is impaired in any way. E-V-A-N-B-O-T-T-E-R-M-A-N. I encourage you to follow Evan and reach out to him with any questions or support, right, Evan? Like you are open to all. Yeah, that. absolutely. I mean, please, please reach out to me if 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 you're struggling. If you know a family member that's struggling, I mean, I'll definitely try to get to as many as I can, and hopefully everyone. But yeah, please reach out to me. Happy to support. And you're a very busy person, so you're not super active on social media, but you do answer DMs. I want to point that out to everyone, and maybe Evan's planning some stuff down the line. <laughs> so you should definitely, uh, definitely follow him. So Evan, in my household, when we have that perfect poo, it just like slides out of the body. You know, you've digested everything perfectly. Uh, there's no blood. It's just the best day ever. We call it a green heart. I wish everybody green heart day then. That's a great, great little saying. I love that. Evan, I just want to say that you are an absolute light worker in this world. You are a survivor. You are someone who I really admire and look up to. I'm so happy we had this conversation. Thank you so much, Evan. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.